Hello and welcome. You're listening to Embodied Astrology, a podcast that explores astrology and its vastness and intersections through the lens of embodiment. My name is Renee Sills. I'm a consulting astrologer, astrology teacher, and somatics educator. Today is December 17th, and we're just a few days away from the solstice and beginning of Capricorn season. Mercury, who astrologers associate with thoughts and conversations, is currently in Capricorn, a sign and archetypal energy invested in structural integrity, history, and that which manifests and is built over time. We're currently in what's called the shadow phase of Mercury's upcoming retrograde, or I like the term retroshade. This is a period of time that sets the stage for the retrograde period, a potentially beneficial cycle of rest and recovery, and a natural phase of turning inwards, reflecting, remaining, and reorienting ourselves in ways that might help us to rework and restructure elements in our lives and relationships so that they have more integrity, more clarity, and are generally more sustainable. Mercury will station retrograde on December 29th at 24 degrees of Capricorn and will travel back to 8 degrees where it turns direct on January 12th. Mercury's post-retro shade, which is the period of time it will spend retracing its retrograde, but now in direct motion, extends through February 7th next year. During the span of time, there is, of course, an important transition in the Gregorian calendar as we shift forward into 2023. This shift is an exciting one for me and is the beginning of a formal expansion of embodied astrology into a network and community of teachers, all of whom are working with exciting intersections and the synthesis of astrology with other modalities. Throughout the year, embodied astrology workshops will be offered in synchronicity with planetary timing to help you work with current transits and your natal chart through experiential, experimental, creative, and healing-oriented approaches that expand the conversation of what astrology can include and be applied towards. 2023's keynote presenter is writer, vocalist, sacred scholar, and artivist Amber McZeal, who has been studying and practicing astrology for over 20 years and will be facilitating the opening ritual for the Embodied Astrology yearly program. Amber utilizes sound therapy and guided somatic imagery to engage the knowledge of the body within an interactive and liberatory arts practice. In 2018, Amber launched her organization, Decolonizing the Psyche, where she weaves somatic praxis with Afro-Indigenous spiritual technologies and social justice and deep decoloniality in effort to end oppression and create more humane social relationships. Amber holds an MA in somatic depth psychology and a PhD in community, liberation, indigenous, and ecological depth psychology. I'm very much looking forward to the opening ritual space Amber will hold with us. This ritual will explore theories of change from an archetypal depth perspective and weaves astrology, depth psychology, and African archetypal approaches together to cultivate new visions for the upcoming year. Amber will guide us in an exploration of transits through a decolonial framework, an embodiment practice, and support us in cultivating rituals which help to guide and shape our individual and collective trek into the new year. Amber's work for me has been truly life-changing, and I will feel infinitely grateful to her for articulating with such grace the synthesis of the many streams she weaves together. Her words and teaching are so powerful, and I am really happy to be able to share this space with her so that she can share with you. In today's conversation, Amber and I lay some of the astrological groundwork for the themes she'll be working with in January 8th's ritual, and we talk broadly about her background, research, and practice. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Offering a moment of prayer and invocation. First, calling all of our energies back from the places and spaces and people they've been engaged with in relationship with. Offering a prayer first in the tongue of my spiritual tradition, which is Yoruba language. Mojuba Olodumare. Mojuba Olumila Eleri Ping. Mojuba Koda Mojuba Sheda. Mojuba Arabalo Tu Ife. Mojuba Awon Iya Afinju Eye. Mojuba Egungun Ile. Mojuba Ori Mojuba Baba. Mojuba Yeye. Mojuba Bobo Orishas. Offering a prayer of gratitude, honor, respect for the consciousness of the one that expresses itself in the many and the many that flows back to the one. Offering a prayer of acknowledgement and gratitude for all of the spiritual forces within the elements. Those of the waters that wash away grief and restore life those of Earth Mother Onile beneath our feet, gratitude for sustenance, nourishment, stability, a home. A prayer of gratitude to those forces of the winds, those that carry our wishes, our prayers, those that animate our flesh, our body. Offering a prayer of gratitude for the fires, those spirits of transformation, of alchemy, of illumination. And for all of the elemental spirits, the minerals of the earth, those that infuse in our technology that connect us. May all elevated ancestors who walk with us be present. May they support creating deeper inner sight so that we can be good people on the earth, walking in right relationship with all that is and create more harmony where we flow. I'll close by saying, Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. Thank you so much, Amber, for calling us in and for that multi dimensional, uh, many layered relational calling in. No problem. My pleasure. We are meeting and talking on Thursday, November 10th, and it is two days past uh, the midterm elections here in the so-called United States. And I'm wondering how you are and how you're feeling and what the vibe is like in your world. And as we move into our conversation, just what's in your heart as you're considering this moment and what's coming next? Yeah, thank you for that. Um... You know, it, it's such an interesting moment in preparation for sitting with you and looking at some of the transits for next year and what we've been living through. Um, where I am is, is truly leaning into all of the tools, practices, um, rituals, honorings that can keep me out of um, 
a heightened state of fight, flight, anxiety. Um, there's just so much polarization when we tap into, when I tap into um, the conversations within media, within news. Um, and it can be really easy. It's like a slippery slope to get sort of a wash in that slew of anxiety, in that uh, muck of polarization. And it's actually been really helpful to lean into the, the transits happening so that I can overlay sort of an archetypal sensibility um, atop the changes happening in the world. So um, I, I think it was, I stumbled across uh, Adrienne Marie Brown's, one of her recent offerings in the social space. And she posted Anxiety Soup, which is an excerpt from Alice Walker's writings. And uh, it's interesting because Alice penned this in 2009. Um, and that's one of the significant transits that we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but she was reflecting on the Wall Street meltdown, uh, which we can see another iteration of with our economic state right now. Um, yeah, and she just, it was really supportive to read Here's how you make a soup to keep anxiety at bay, you know, um, and in true elder fashion, some of the things to watch out for, dissociation, um, wanting to check out, uh, wanting to isolate, you know, all of those um, sort of knee-jerk hyper-individualist responses that um, can overtake us at times. So. I'm doing pretty well. I, I've been in ritual all morning since about 5 a.m. So just to add another layer of how that um, that practice is showing up for me right now. I'm thinking about uh, something that I've certainly read from Resma Manikam, and I think I probably heard you speak to as well, that unresolved trauma shows up as family patterns and personality traits. Mm -hmm. And as I was listening to you, I was thinking that, you know, the healing and the resolution and integration of those patterns uh, is also historic and multidimensional and uh, bringing in the tools and the practices and the rituals that have been cultivated across so many lineages for such, um, you know, different, different reasons and different applications, but then the ways that they help us ground right now feels so important. Um, I, I first came across your work last year. Uh, you offered a decolonizing the psyche workshop through CIIS, through the California Institute of Integral Studies. And I have to say that your workshop really blew me away. Um, your combination was a presentation of, uh, a, a very thorough presentation of colonization and coloniality and trauma with such a generous emotional and spiritual presence um, and a lot of processing space for us who were participating. And then at the beginning of this year, you offered a five-part series on decolonial somatic approaches. 
Um, and I experienced uh, your presentation as deepening the synthesis that I had first encountered in that CIIS workshop. Um, and you really helped, helped me personally to untangle some of the complexities between Christian colonial violence and white supremacy and capitalism um, and to understand like how they were mapped. And also uh, you really introduced a very generous framework for healing and liberation through ancestral repair and indigenous cosmology and spiritual practice. Mm. I, in, in my encounters with you, I've really experienced your facilitation as, as being able to synthesize and articulate so many connections between the past and the present and the macro and the micro and historic personal and societal traumas in ways that I haven't heard brought together before in such an embodied framework and with such spaciousness for process and inner exploration. And so first of all, Amber, I just wanna say thank you. I feel really grateful to have encountered you um, and your work. And I just feel that the spaces you're holding and the research and praxis that uh, you're cultivating holds very essential medicine uh, for these times. Mm. And yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, so thank you for your kind words, yeah. Um, and then secondly, I'm just wondering if, if for the listeners that haven't encountered you before, um, if you would be willing to share a little bit about your journey and how you came into these different areas of research and praxis. And you are a scholar, you have an MA in somatic depth psychology and a PhD in community liberation, indigenous and ecological depth psychology. Uh, you incorporate ancestral healing and indigenous and African spiritual traditions and you work with astrology. Um, yeah, how did you get here? Uh, and and what are you holding in, in this incredible brew? Oh, wow. It's, it's, uh, it's humbling when you hear it through somebody else's lens and their experience. So <laughs> I wanna say thank you, Renee, for that. Thank you. Um, so there's a lot of intersections and co-weaving that um, have brought me here. Um, there, are, there are some ruptures that created new openings and um, sort of formed new ground. And I'll, um, I'll attempt, you know, to be as succinct as possible uh, with that kind of origin story, because there are definitely a lot of layers. So um, my first encounter with uh, astrology kind of intersected with um, seeking out gods and goddesses. This was like a book I stumbled upon in like middle school through high school. And so I learned about the Greek mythos um, and all of the goddesses there. And then that led me to the African gods and goddesses. Um, fast forward to about 17 or so. I wanted to deepen my study with astrology, you know, all of these names and, you know, figure out a little bit more. So I bought a book, a very um, preliminary uh, sort of resource for um, learning what astrology is, how charts work. I bought a telescope at 17. Um, so that's when my journey with astrology began, about 17. And uh, that was like the year... 2000, 
1999, 2000. In 2005, uh, Katrina hit. I was living in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and I call it the glory wave called Katrina, which uh, carried me over to the West Coast. And I spent a long time, I didn't know it at the time, but it was just slowly piecing my life back together. You know, I did therapy, I looked at astrology, so I incorporated that symbolism and those tools to support my journey there. And eventually, um, I, I started studying uh, sound therapy and trauma for undergrad. That segued into the Somatic Depth Psychology program. Um, and depth psychology is a pretty unique field. It's still sort of on the margin of the field of psychology. It has um, an entire archetypal approach and it itself incorporates the symbolism of astrology and looking at the ways that that can map or show up or manifest in the psyche, both at the personal and the collective level. Um, and then I moved into, uh, through some ruptures that occurred there, I moved into the CLIE program, the Community Liberation Indigenous and Eco-Psychology. Um, parallel to that, deepening my own spiritual practice with IFA, uh, which is an African Indigenous spiritual system out of uh, Yoruba land, Nigeria, West Africa. Um, and then over time, just took maybe, you know, I'll, I'll be transparent here. Maybe it's my Aquarian moon, but I took a couple of risks to weave things together. So, how did African indigenous spiritual systems and ways of being human, uh, ways of interpreting uh, the human experience map match up with astrological symbolism and the archetypes present there? And then how that informed the colonial decolonial experience, especially as it related to healing historical and ancestral trauma, uh, which for me was became the emphasis is focusing on how did what happened in that colonial churning, um, how could it be understood through all of these other frameworks and that lead and guide us toward healing modalities and approaches and perspectives. So um, I worked a lot and I feel this is significant for our conversation today my research focused on um, Black women birthing within the colonial and contemporary uh, timeframes, and really the intersection of capitalism and the Black female body. So it had a lot to do with value. It had, to, had a lot to do with the distortion of value and value formations. Um, it had a lot to do with our distortions with the relationship to the earth itself, minerals, resources, water, um, the sharing or lack thereof sharing of those resources, i.e. the hoarding. Um, so, and to do that, I incorporated African archetypal uh, approaches. So uh, looking at motherhood and womanhood outside of the colonial paradigm, like what are the ways that we related to this to the body, to children, to life itself. 
that were not clouded by those distortions of the colonial experience. So that's that's where I'll land with that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that um, overview. And when you were talking about uh, what brought you into all of this with Hurricane Katrina, I pulled up the chart um, for Hurricane Katrina um, in uh, late August, 2005. Wow. And at that point, um, the planet Uranus was in Pisces and it was opposing the sun and trying to the moon. Um, and today Uranus is in Taurus, a, a complementary energy to Pisces. And um, both Pisces and Taurus, I think, really speak very deeply as archetypal energies to um, wealth, which is not the word that I wanna use actually, but I, I don't have another word that I'm locating right now, but um, mm both Pisces and Taurus are energies that I think really bring us into awareness of the complexity and interpermeation of life here on earth and in our phenomenal world and how what we need is uh, inevitably intrinsically combined with everything mm -hmm. and everything then uh, becomes part of something that we need. Um, and hearing you talk about where your work originated and brought you and um, your research with Black women and with, with birthing, um, I'm thinking about the moon in Cancer on the day of Hurricane Katrina and mm. that aspect from Uranus. And in the gestalt of your work, there's so much innovation and invention and um, you know, I, I feel like, again, this reaching into the past in order to understand the present and move forward into the future. And the feeling of aha, which is a very Uranian uh, sensation, and it's certainly one that I experienced when I first encountered your workshops was a lot of aha, like, oh my gosh, wow, you just, you, you just really clicked something for me. Mm. Um. And so in the moment of, of astrology where we are right now, we're two days past a full moon and lunar eclipse in the sign Taurus. And we're held in a series of eclipses in uh, the signs Taurus and Scorpio. Um, the Taurus-Scorpio axis squares Saturn in Aquarius. And you and I have talked about uh, this astrology already. And I would love it if you would share a little bit with me and with the listeners around what the symbolism of these placements conjures for you and how you read into the transits of Uranus and Taurus and maybe Saturn and Aquarius as well. Um, but specifically with your work and, and the breadth of your practice, uh, Uranus and Taurus feels very um, resonant with many of the aspects that you brought in. Moshe, thank you for pulling up the chart of Katrina. You know, I have never done that. And so I just want to pause for a beat and offer a, a reflection on that um, in hopes that, you know, in the spirit of what you're, you're offering in the world and embodied form of astrology, that these personal reflections can um, sort of shed light on the ways that others can embody these interpretations and these movements. Um, Cancer is my North node. I think we talked about that too before, right? Uh 
So I had no idea that the moon was in cancer on the day uh, that Katrina hit and then trining Uranus in Pisces, which lands in my eighth house, the house of Scorpio, right? Death and rebirth. Um, wow. Yeah. All I can say is wow. So <clears throat> it makes a lot of sense though. <laughs> Because I think there's a there's a portion of like how um, how that North Node pull that gravitational pull speaks to the ruling planet in one's own chart. So my planet, the you know the Moon ruled by Cancer, my Moon is in Aquarius and it is sextile my Uranus in Sagittarius. So there's a lot of ahas and like crown chakra explosions and. Uh, breakthroughs that that are absolutely a part of my life. Um, so this this last full moon and the eclipse that axis, the Taurus Scorpio axis, is um, the death rebirth axis for for me. Um, death rebirth in its connection to life. So the Scorpio holding that churning holding that deep transformation, the depths of the ocean, the depths of the subconscious mind, and how that becomes fodder for the Taurus energies, almost the composting. So that's been really um, present for me uh, this week, especially leading up to ritual in the latter part of the week. Um, a lot of emotional um unearthing, like unearthing even deeper layers of my own personal journeys with major transitions that have happened in my life, one of which was graduating, um, another of which was, you know, stepping into uh, becoming an ancestral lineage healing practitioner, um, completing the training there with ancestral medicine. Um, another element that's really present is um, and this is within a decolonial colonial framework. Um, to, to offer a brief statement about that, that framework really explains, and this is what was introduced and formed the ground for the Decolonizing the Psyche series. Um, but it explains, it kind of crystallizes how a margin got created. So the creation of the other or the creation of the periphery. Um, at the center is something, the invention of white or whiteness, um, the, the, the preference for maleness, the overemphasis of the intellect as mind only, um, and then the relegating of other forms of knowledge to a periphery, the relegating of femaleness or indigeneity to a periphery. One of the other things that gets relegated to the margin is emotion itself because of the preference for logic. So in this season, um, there's been a lot of a, a call to stillness. In fact, me and my guides, those bigger powers I work with have really a sort of two years ago when that full moon was in cancer. I don't even remember. My, yeah, two years ago, I think. They basically said, just take the winters off. Like, <laughs> Create the spaciousness so that you're not in grind culture to at least have some downtime for these deep, the depth of these emotions to flow. 
whether it is um, the, the waters of grief, which is just love looking for a place to go, um, whether it is um, the joy, you know, the exhilaration, the optimism, uh, but all of the things that happen in that deep yin energy, the darkness, everything born from the darkness. Um, so I think that really settled in for me with this recent eclipse too, of um, just noticing how those lessons gleaned through the, the, the astrological archetypes of that big full moon in the depth of winter and what she was showing and saying to say, give me my due respect. Um, do not pretend to be unimpacted by the world. Allow space for the grieving of, of what has been or is being lost through sheer human ignorance, um, through a um, sort of a ritual of holding on to systems, structures, contracts, that are becoming obsolete. Allow yourself to be impacted by that because the impact sheds light on the new direction. So I'd say that's what's present right now. Mm. Yeah, I resonate a lot with that. Um, on the night of the full moon, my friends and colleague, Carlin Bradley and I held a support space um, for embodied astrology and election night support space where we just mm -hmm. tuned in with a chart and. Um, Carlin reads uh, tarot cards and the people that came, we had a bunch of people pulling cards and, um, you know, just sharing what was emerging. And one of the main themes that kept coming up was pause and mm. what happens in pause. Um, and a lot of us, you know, sharing our our own stories of the ways that we've been affected over the last few years of the pandemic, um, but also the ways that we've been affected, I would say for the last decade plus of what feels to be emerging in collective consciousness um, around the value of rest mm -hmm. in resistance to grind culture and in resistance to uh, what grind culture perpetuates, which is this, you know, ongoing momentum of uh, destruction. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing you talk about uh, this, this directive that you received from the Cancer Moon and um, invitation to, to go inward, I am also thinking about other happenings within the Earth element and mm -hmm. the transit of Pluto and Capricorn since 2008. Um, and this year in 2022, uh, Pluto has returned to the same place that it was uh, when the Declaration of Independence was drafted and codified in the 1700s. Um, and so in this, in this theme of resting and pausing and this act of resistance that resting and pausing is, I'm thinking about how counter rest and pause in a true sense of the word and what you spoke to, which is that in that pause, we can feel the impact of something. Mm -hmm. And there's a there's space for melting and the 
intelligence of emotions can actually be absorbed within the body and the body mind can then um, experience some kind of agency or choice that we're unable to experience when we're moving really fast. And especially when we're moving fast, provoked by scarcity or fear or competition. Um, and so this is just, it's such an American way of being and a uh, way of being that feels so deeply embedded within modernity. And thinking about these 248 year cycles, bringing us back to, um, you know, America Incorporated, and then a, a cycle previous to that um, in the 16th century brings us to the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade. And if we take that Pluto cycle back to the previous uh, phase, then we end up in the 13th century where um, in Europe, there were the early waves of imperialism and, and colonization uh, on European territory in the Middle Ages, um, the Crusades, the Inquisition, there was a solidification of power occurring between nation states and the Roman Catholic Church. And through the efforts, uh, I think, rooted by the church, this was also a period of time when European uh, pagan traditions were being destroyed and peasants and agrarian people were rapidly being displaced to urban centers and processes of enclosure uh, were underway that appropriated the commons and commonly held land and water, et cetera as the private property of, of wealthy landowners and the church. And so just following those cycles, you know, I'm struck by how much fear has been moving through the collective body and the momentum of fear. And that there have, have been now several centuries of strategy to keep people from resting and keep mm. people from feeling. And I think gathering and communing around sentiment and feeling um, and, a, and a lot of mechanisms to keep people moving, right? And, and distracted on some level. So I'm wondering, um, you know, when you tune in with um, the, the movement around rest and the ways that, that your guides have called you into a space of rest, um, I'm wondering if you feel that in relationship to a larger collective current. And second part of the question, <laughs> my complex questions, uh, <laughs> second part, you know, thinking into these larger uh, timescales, I'm wondering how you, how you read Pluto and how you read this uh, connection between these time periods and Pluto's symbolism. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that lovely comprehensive mapping um, with the, <clears throat> the cycles of Pluto. Pluto really being significant as like the light in the subconscious, you know, um, Pluto as the power planet. It's such an important piece you brought up. And, you know, I was taking notes in the last couple of weeks alongside you. Um, especially around the formation of America Incorporated in the 1700s, the American Revolutionary War, uh, gaining independence from Great Britain and things like that. Um, when you overlay that movement of Pluto in this, the 18th century, 1700s with uh, colonial framework, there's a saying in the, the field 
that racial capitalism in America, which is part of the foundation of America Incorporated, was the answer to feudalism and those crusades and religious wars and the Thirty Years' War in Europe. And so bringing Pluto as sort of um, a scope into that tension, for me, what it signals is something has not been transformed. It's just been transitioned. So the system of power um, rooted in dominion, rooted in exploitation, rooted in the false delusion of separation from land, rooted in commodification of bodies, rooted in the logic of the witch hunts that was necessary to, to sort of uh, consecrate uh, capitalism there and then transpose it across the seas to the Americas. Pluto is really revealing, especially with its, this recent transit, um, the shadow that still exists, that we're still living with. And I think when you now incorporate a somatic lens, the way that fear hijacks the frontal cortex that's responsible for long visioning and long thinking, planning, the way it hijacks the amygdala, you know, hyperstimulates it, the way that that then gets sort of crystallized into our behaviors, into our relational dynamics, that um, the movement toward rest, uh, I love the NAP ministry and their work on rest. It's quite significant. It's quite an upriver swim and it's a necessary one. Uh, on a personal note, it's one that I've had to fight for hashtag Pluto again, it's an inner battle, an inner battle with the way that the mandate of the systems within modernity have um, shaped and structured my own nervous system, that it's knee-jerk to feel almost inept or guilty for not doing something, that I actually had to take those sensations those emotions to my people, to my guides, to my meditation space, to the river and ritual. I had to ask that they be transformed in my own body, that I had the right to rest. Um, at a deeper level, there's also the way that those patterns have been inherited, the epigenetics of it, um, honor and respect to my own ancestors, but those, I'm from Louisiana, family goes back um, well into the early 1700s there. Um, and so there's a, there's a muscle memory, there's a, an ancestral memory of working till one's death um, and working without the, the feedback loop of reciprocity. So that being almost uh, the status quo, the way that it is. There was a saying in the South, you work from can't see to can't see. So from pre-dawn to after sunset. Um, and so the importance of incorporating these rituals, not as just like a fun social media hashtag t-shirt um, cultural trend, but as a significant medicine at the personal, historical, ancestral, collective level. 
and how that then informs the good works one wants to do in the world. That's how I've interpreted it. Um, let's see. There were a couple of notes that I, I wanted to highlight here. Um, Pluto through Capricorn, I think it entered Capricorn in 2008, right? Which was the big crash, our economic crash, the housing crisis. Um, but Pluto really highlighted the shadow of power accumulation and consolidation. Um, that was really kind of a theme in all of the cycles of Pluto that you mentioned here, going back to the 13th century. Um, the exploitation of resources, human and earthly, the reconfiguration of power hierarchies, um, both within a feudal system and then outside of it within modernity and racial capitalism. Um, how the abuse of power was not actually transformed, but reinstated within a new hierarchy. Um, the desperate fleeing from religious persecution, you know, those religious institutions, Capricorn really signifying that. Um, let's see. Pluto and Capricorn really shook up the deeper layers of the collective unconscious 2008 to 2023. And then we had a whole pandemic and a global racial reckoning within that. So all of the, those shadow contents at the subconscious rising up. Um, most significant for me and many, the financial crisis and the housing crisis globally, the corporate consolidation of real estate globally, right? And how that was creating housing, is creating housing scarcity across the world. Um, and Capricorn really signifying the structures, the laws, the rules, the governance, the contracts, the agreements that coordinate life on the earth. It has felt like um, with the global pause, especially within the pandemic, it has felt like, or I've embraced it as an opportunity to really check in with what is the new direction that we wanna go? And then how can we utilize technology, one of my favorite resources and, and others to start to try walk in that direction as opposed to, you know, sort of succumbing to despair. Mm. Yeah, thank you. The imagery that you just supplied with your descriptions is so evocative for me of these themes of Scorpio in the eighth house and Pluto that we've been kind of weaving around so far in the conversation. And um, I really loved the invitation that you had to consider the difference between transformation and transition. Mm. Um, because it, it, it feels like, oh, that's what can happen in the eighth house. Um, and I'll circle back to that in a second, but um, before I do you, I, I forget the term you mentioned, but um, from sunup to sundown working. Mm -hmm. From can't see to can't see. Yeah. So in uh, the, the very literal <laughs> and symbolic representation that an astrology chart wheel is, you know, the eighth house is the place where the sun starts to fall in the sky. And um, 
is it, it has been called the gate of Hades that, you know, when the sun passes through this place in the sky and begins to approach the descendant, um, night becomes the stronger force and we're pulled into the underworld or the time of darkness, which is the time of often of ritual and ceremony. And I think uh, the kinds of gatherings that bring us into occult work um, or, or mystic work. And you mentioned a, a, a while ago um, that you were relating with, with pause as a place to shed and, and let flow the waters of grief. And you said, this is just love looking for a place to go. And, you know, I'm thinking about the power of ceremony and ritual to transmute uh, what is horrific and catastrophic and traumatizing and senseless. And that through these languages, there is so much healing and integration that can happen. And that, again, one of the, the tools of, um, of oppression that has been laid upon so many bodies and, and culture uh, for so long has been fear of these spaces. And um, uh, suppression of gathering, you know, not, not letting people gather, not letting people gather at certain times or with certain elements or certain practices. Um, and, and then what you're bringing up, you know, around Pluto as a, as a symbol that can speak to accumulation and consolidation of power, um, and how you framed that within Capricorn, um, you know, makes me wonder, it, it, it makes me curious about the potentials for power when there's willingness and interest and curiosity and support you know, to move through the gate of Hades, to enter the occult spaces, to work with the underworld and to work with the power of feeling and transmutation of feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something you said there, um, especially in light of the cycles of Pluto through Capricorn specifically that you mentioned going back to the 13th century. One of the things I'm really touched inspired and and honestly honored to work with is um, ancestral healing practices with all kinds of people. People who have ancestors from the African continent at large, uh, people who have ancestors from Europe and bearing witness as a guide and support to individuals finally being able to confront the suffering that their own people of European descent experienced and what they inherited and how those experiences informed their transitions to other cultures. Um, also witnessing the reclamation of their own indigenous earth-based practices the things that had to go underground, the things that were burned at the stake, the things that had to be submerged in the underworld, right? To, to accompany someone to that threshold um, through the process of the deep emotional churning, the grief, the sorrow of what was lost, the, the, the suffering of their own people, um, the scarcity. There was at one point, you know, I have French ancestors too coming through Haiti. 
and Louisiana and um, finding out that during the French Revolution right before, right, which was a whole feudalism, religious wars battle, the average age of a Frenchman, quote unquote, peasant was 17 years of age. That there was such a consolidation of power at the top of the hierarchy that these European bodies were absolutely disposable and, and worked to death, right? So I lean into that rad radical optimism of what gets reclaimed, the bounty that is received when you take that deep dive, right? Into Hades, the underworld, or into relationship with the deep yin, right? Um, I, I often like to triangulate the data or the symbolic landscape. There can be a resistance to the idea of the dark in the West, hence anti-Blackness, et cetera, hence anti-occultism or mysticism. And so even a reclamation of the gift and bounty in the dark. Um, so 100% agree there. There's a lot of possibility in just taking, finding the courage to take that journey and go and reclaim what is ancestrally your inheritance, that we all had a relationship to the earth, to the larger cosmos, to the sharing of resources equitably. You know, learning about the enclosure movement, which was like the predecessor for the formation of capitalism, right? Um, the creation of the Lord of the land or the landlord happened in that movement where before housing was a human right. Like we, we have enshrined it in our modern um, United Nations declaration of, uh, oh my God, what is it called? Declaration of Human Rights. Housing as a human right is, is one of the articles. When you look pre-enclosure, that was already a, a shared collective agreement. Of course you have to have a place to live. Who doesn't? You're a human on the earth. It makes sense. Of course you're going to have to grow rutabagas and potatoes and onions. So you'll need a piece of land to do that because your body can't survive without it. So looking at the ways that a Pluto and Capricorn transit, um, the waves of that started to manipulate and distort um, what could be conceived of as natural laws. You know, I think that's been a, a real site of reclamation for me, especially within the pandemic in these latter stages of Capricorn moving through, uh, of Pluto moving through Capricorn. Mm. Mm. Amber, I just want to bow to your Pisces eighth house. <laughs> You're talking about this space that you hold um, and to do this ancestral healing work um, and to hold people from many different lineages. Uh, to me, I just, I feel, I feel the sense of compassion and, and vast love that I think Pisces can really speak to in that eighth house place of psychology mm. and holding space for transformation. And I was thinking as you're talking about um, a recent reframing that I heard of trauma and um, uh, a teacher that I've been working with, um, who you might know, Al-Nur Lada, um, uh, he, he offered that one way to think about trauma is as of yet unrealized power. Hmm. And 
that that really landed for me and in, in what you were sharing and again to bring us into the Pluto and the Scorpio and the eighth house and um I'm thinking about Scorpio's uh place as fixed water and within the astrological language that this is a symbol of fixed emotion and the kinds of emotions that get held in place and often get held in place through trauma response and mm. through deep relational entanglements that are uh, that can be very woven with trauma and the themes of the eighth house and of Scorpio, sex, death, money, power, you know, that that get woven in between people. And I think within the context that we are in, um, you know, in the the wake of what's now over a thousand years of patriarchal Christian uh, violence upon bodies and separation or severance of uh, humans from nature, um, that the currents between us are, are so threaded uh, with emotions that have not been able to integrate and haven't been able to process. And when you were talking about helping folks with European ancestry recover and remember um, parts of of their lineage and and to remember what they were fleeing from. Um, I feel my own experience with that work and the spaciousness that has resulted for me to make sense of whiteness in, in my white body experience where before there was uh, consciousness or language and the generosity to hold space for me to understand what had happened um, all I had was confusion and guilt and fear and a, um, a big blank spot, you know, around like, how am I, what am I supposed to do, you know, in this kind of ciphering into an individual uh, neurosis of like, I need to blah, 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 you know, do something, fix something. And that way of being, I think is so urgent. And then in encountering this kind of, uh, of framework and and embodiment work to not just learn the history, but as you do to really, um, you know, feel it and process it and have space for a deeper internal listening. Um, I feel myself now in a place where I'm able to be a lot more accountable mm -hmm. to my lineage. And, um, and I feel that there, there's potential for actual transformation and not just the, the transition, the moving, you know, the, the bulk of trauma from one place to another. Um, so thank, thank you so much for that framing. It was really helpful to hear. Absolutely. And so well stated um, by you. There's one of the things that my, my Pisces eighth house graciously receives your offering, and it feels great to be recognized, knowing that um, Venus is exalted in in the sign of Pisces and the boundless, unconditional love that is possible. Just a quick segue. My my dissertation was um, titled "Radical Love Traditions," and so it was all about sort of moving through the depths, the intensity of that modern experience for Black racialized women's bodies and reclaiming the seeds of love, the seeds of radical love that were braided into the hair, that were braided into the heart, 
that made safe passage across the ocean, that became tiny rituals of dignity and self-preservation um, in the face of the dehumanizing project. So that, that's the offering that I sort of inherited through the ritual of the dissertation work and why I titled it Radical Love Traditions. But as you're saying it, you know, making the connection with that eighth house Pisces and love is the thing that that is going to carry us through. Love is the thing that carries us through that underworld journey, that descent. Um, recognizing that European ancestors attempting to escape the suffering under the boot of feudalism chose to agree to a new contract right, that there was also um, um, a desperation for love within that because it was about survival. It was about survival. We're not talking, you know, when you start to do the historical research and you realize it was a very small percentage of landowners and aristocrats who actually had the bulk of the wealth or owned the bulk of the enslaved people, that there were a lot a lot of European people who were not wealthy at all. However, true to Capricorn fashion, when the contract was presented, a yes was offered, right? Without a real metabolizing of um, the trauma endured. So, uh, and I love this reframe, trauma is as of yet unrealized power that, that, that rings true for me too. Um, I want to presence here the Uranus moving through Taurus um, aspect because of something you just uh, mentioned and um, you're offering there. But within the Decolonizing the Psyche series, uh, I think it was session four, was called Biophilia and Value Formation. Um, and biophilia, let me just, if you'll bear with me one moment, I'm going to read the, um, the definition there. Biophilia is an innate affinity for life and its living systems. And this affinity is based on a drive, a thrust that human beings possess to connect or merge with all of life. It's an imperative or a drive that's encoded in our biology, in our body, and in our soma. That has been really pronounced for me with the Uranus moving through Taurus transit, is this biophilia. In fact, the transit was the inspiration for creating this uh, course, you know, that se session on biophilia and value formation or the reforming of our values, Taurus really signifying that. Another element that's been um, very pronounced is um, for me and many others, I'm learning from my, my teachers, especially in depth psychology and beyond, but a re-enchantment of the world. Um, and I think this really aligns with the eighth house, occult, mystic, excavating indigenous um, practices and traditions. But there was a, a desacralization or making unsacred the world itself that was required to achieve the, the mission or the vision of a colonial paradigm of modernity. 
when you put that in light of the way that the sacred got distorted within religiosity, or let's say empire religions, right? And the abuse of, of the humans, it made sense for me when I started to look at like, oh, of course, when you look at the forming of America, the constitution, these folks, men, European, then white men, had a real uh, solid opposition to religiosity. In fact, they didn't put it in the constitution. They said, you can have whatever religion you want, but this is actually not a nation built on a concept of God. And that made a lot of sense for the experiences that they were fleeing from. Fast forward a century plus, the emergence of the field of psychology itself was also a removal of the sacred, or it was trying to replace the practices that were embedded in sacred technologies with this new sort of secular approach that they called psychology. But it was all trauma-based, right? It was a fleeing from the wounds, the psychic and somatic wounds that had been inflicted. So um, I'm in a practice, a pretty consistent practice of uncovering and discovering how I can re-enchant my world and spread or share that re-enchantment, that restoring of the sacred with others. Um, one of the books that I um, used to develop that course was um, Sacred Economics and the Restoration of the Gift Economy. And let's see if I can. In it, he talks about money, since we're talking about Taurus here. Money was es essentially a symbol designed and created to connect gifts with needs. That signals for me the moon being exalted in Taurus, right? Um, it was an outgrowth of a sacred gifting economy. So I give you a thing. And in return, you are inspired to gift me with something. The flow is consistent, right? A, a lot of what modernity has done is it's capped off the circle. So things only flow in a unidirectional way. And that has generated a lot of our suffering, right? Uh, a real practical scope on this um, within that context of things done for profit. Um, I always circle back to the crisis in Flint, Michigan with, we're gonna dump all this stuff in the river because clearly waters don't affect human beings and we're gonna do it for profit, right? So the, the cutting away of that principle of reciprocity and flow and interconnection as the basis for wealth, I feel strongly that is what's being um, transformed in our Uranus and Taurus transit. And it's being done in a lot of different ways. Uranus being associated with Aquarius and technology. The more we connect globally, the more we share information experiences, the more we see sort of that butterfly effect of how something done in California is affecting Guatemala or vice versa, right? Um, we are slowly, slowly reweaving the human 
cosmic fabric back together, to understand at a foundational level how interconnection is just the principle. It just is. And the more we have that awareness and that awakening, and it seeps into and rings true in ourselves, in our nervous system, that changes actions in the world. It changes the way we move. It changes the things we agree and say yes to, or the social agreements we sign, the social contracts we sign. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really feeling the way that uh, you're talking about a shaping of consciousness over mm -hmm. time. And um, I'm thinking about a word that you actually introduced me to, epistemicide. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm, you sure did. <laughs> um, would, you, would you give us a description of that word? Yeah, absolutely. Um, epistemicide, so like the, the genocide of epistemes, episteme epistemologies are ways of knowing. So epistemicide is the destruction of old knowledge so that no new knowledge can be created on the basis of that old knowing. And epistemicide was, you know, real practical example, the destruction of libraries in the Horn of Africa. Um, the destruction of embodied libraries with the witch hunts within Europe, right? These were women who held the knowledge of living systems, of herbalism, of healing, of the natural world, um, their own indigenous rituals in connection to the earth. Um, yeah, and it, it has a lot. The answer to epistemicide is a principle out of the Akan tradition, this is one answer, called Sankofa. Sankofa is a bird with a seed in its mouth. Its chest is being thrust forward, but the head is looking back. And so the principle embedded in it is you cannot move forward without going back to capture the past, right? Another way of saying it is, you know, you repeat what you do not understand or like how that repetition continues through lack of knowing. So there's a real gift with all of those um, pieces, both the theoretical understanding of epistemicide, the African indigenous uh, symbolism of Sankofa and the Aquarian age, Pluto moving into Aquarius shortly. There's a real opportunity within technology to reclaim what was lost because it, it actually didn't die. The, the genocide of the knowing was not complete. That's something that really emerged for me in my research. Um, there was a whole, you know, a couple of pages in a chapter I devoted to explaining how epistemicide was defeated through embodied knowledge that the transition of these African archetypal uh, spiritual technologies across the ocean in the bodies of my ancestors meant that the transmission was successful. The fact that I can even utter the word Olodumare today or Orisha or Ori, the fact that I can even say that meant that that colonial gesture of power and dominion 
was a failure. And that is something to be celebrated. It kind of speaks to this as of yet unrealized power. It speaks to the resolution of that trauma, the breakthrough that is possible through work with self, global, local community, and the more than human world, the plants, the waters, the ancestors, the symbols in the psyche. Mm. And that's exciting. Mm. I'm thinking about um, a term uh, that I've encountered through Afrofuturism, uh, retrocausality, and the the idea that you know the past and the future are in constant dialogue with mm. us through the present, and that uh, our future ancestors might be whispering back to the past, and that what the future tells the past can change the past, which can change the present. Um, and as I was listening to, and I, I was thinking about you know, these images that you were bringing in, including um, women braiding seeds into each other's hair as they uh, were enslaved and crossed the Atlantic. And you mentioned technology a number of times. And I was thinking about the many technologies that we carry, as you mentioned, in our bodies and in our stories and our songs and practices. And also, of course, that manifest through uh, the mediums that we might think about as technology now. Um, and you mentioned Pluto moving into Aquarius. And one of the ways that I play around with the idea of, of Pluto and Capricorn, um, aside from this uh, symbol of accumulation and consolidation of power, is also what you've touched on as well, of an unearthing or an excavation of what has been buried and what has been lost. and. Um, the transit of Pluto and Capricorn has coincided with a huge amount of scholarship and research into ancestral and indigenous traditions mm -hmm. and a lot of folks reclaiming and um, understanding their own connection to these practices as well as to uh, lineages of loss and erasure and doing transformational work within them and in the reclaiming developing synthesis, you know, where they're learning about ancestral traditions, while they're also, you know, artists and scholars within other traditions, they're finding these bridges, um, and then sharing them, you know, through our social networks and through the uh, avenues of communication that feel very unique to our lifetimes. Um, you mentioned Pluto moving into Aquarius next year. It begins its ingress in March and it'll take about two years to wobble back and forth between Capricorn and Aquarius. Uh, but then once it enters Aquarius, it will be there until 2042, um, which is a significant year, uh, especially in the United States. This is the year that it's predicted that white people will become a minority. And I know for me, it feels like a, maybe a potential light at the end of the tunnel, the next couple of decades of um, transition and hopefully transformation in, into that period of time. Um, I'm curious about how you are looking forward, if that's even an appropriate term or feeling, feeling into uh, Pluto's transit in Aquarius and um, what you think might be called forth in this uh, in this transit and and what Pluto might bring up from the depths of Aquarius? Yeah. You know, the first um, 
phrase that comes to mind is Aquarius holding a radical truth telling sensibility. Like there's, or maybe it's the way I've experienced Aquarius, that the breakthrough is on the heels of telling the truth. It's finding the courage to be the outlier, if you will, or um, in the spirit of innovation, being ahead of the status quo. And when you mentioned white people becoming a minority in 2042, of course, my face was like, wow, I, I hadn't even made that connection. But as you spoke it, um, and I'll circle back to some more detailed reflections on that um, transit. But even our concept, like the language itself of minority and majority is inherently flawed, right? Um, as, as minority within this country, by numbers, perhaps, yes, but within the scope of a global human family, which is what Aquarius signals for me, it's just plainly not true. It's not true. People of European descent have never outnumbered the rest of the globe of color who are considered minorities when they enter this particular social arrangement or assemblage, right? A racial social contract. So there that, you know, similar to you, I feel that pull and that light at the end of the tunnel of sort of getting freed from these really flawed social contracts that have determined and reduced what it means to be human. And so that's what's highlighted for me as Pluto moves into Aquarius is a radical transformation and undoing of the dehumanizing project and undoing of the flawed social agreements and arrangements and a reconfiguration based on new knowledge, the knowledge that's being shared now, the transdisciplinary offerings that are being um, shared so through social media, through in-person arts, all of that. I, um, a few years back, I was asked why I incorporated spiritual technology into my work. And the way it was asked was sort of in a way of denigrating technology because of the way that we are moving into or already are in the middle of a technocracy, right? Um, the exploitation of labor to get the mineral resources that are embedded in our computers, um, the ways that ongoing systems of labor domination, exploitation control are playing out to obtain the coltan in Uganda and the Congo. Um, and so she said, well, why are you using that? And I had to look up the etymology of, of technology. It's a discourse or treatise on an art or the arts. That's all technology means. A systematic treatment of an art, craft, or technique. So it's all about method. It's all about a systematic approach to something to achieve a particular end. Spiritual combining with technology is a systematic treatment of what it means to be human, 
right? For me. Um, there's another element of it, technology in the traditional way that we understand it and relate to it, a microphone, a computer, um, uh, our apps, the things that we use, the telephone, things like that. Um, there is an Orisha associated with technology within the Yoruba pantheon. And Orisha is kind of akin to an archetypal pattern. It's a pattern of consciousness. Um, and all of the pantheon is nature-based. So you find um, this consciousness expressed through nature. Technology is associated with the Orisha Ogun. And Ogun is metal, blacksmithing, the, the um, deep intimate relationship to fire and how that can bend and mold and shape or reshape something, usually in service to life. So that's something that I've been sitting with, especially in the last uh, couple of weeks, is the way that Pluto and Aquarius, moving into Aquarius, um, is fostering social transformation through technology and through that radical truth-telling and radical knowing, um, how it is stitching global kinship uh, connection and exchange. Look at our use of Zoom today and throughout the pandemic that just exploded. Um, so some of the considerations highlighted are, of course, I said, redefining what it means to be human, Aquarius being that humanitarian sign. Who are we? How are we in local and global kinship? Um, humanitarianism being restored transforming the psychic residue of dehumanization and how all of those pieces like technology can support transforming that psychic residue of dehumanization. Um, and then looking at how Saturn in Aquarius has set the stage for this to come forward 2023 to 2042 by almost like smushing it in our face the realities of what we've inherited and what we've been living with under the status quo. Like, does this really align with your concept of being human? Circling back to what we talked about earlier, including um, hyper-production versus rest, um, hyper-individualism and the illusion of separation versus fundamental interconnection with all that is. So those are some of the the like morsels that I'm holding. Mm. I feel like you just gave us um, a number of titles for your upcoming books. <laughs> I'll be sure to re-listen. <laughs> um, you know, I love the phrases that you brought in in terms of radical love traditions and spiritual technologies. And um, those words for me resonate as very Aquarian and um, very connected to what I feel as the potentials of Aquarius and, and the growth potentials. Um, and I'm so excited that you are going to be um, holding space with embodied astrology as, as we collectively experience this transition of, of Pluto into Aquarius. And next year you are um, space tending and uh, facilitating both opening and closing ceremonies for the year. 
Um, and the spaces you're going to be holding are so important within the arc of the calendar year, just at the beginning and, and end, uh, but also within the arc of astrology, because next year is not only bringing uh, the ingress of Pluto into Aquarius, but it's also shifting Saturn. Uh, Saturn will be moving into Pisces and will be moving into a new eclipse sequence. Um, and then over the course of the next couple of years, all the outer planets will be changing signs. Uranus will move into Gemini, Neptune will move into Aries. And my sense of 2023 is that it is uh, really a portal and a gate to um, yet another wave of big change and transformation um, that from an astrological perspective, I really see taking us into the 2040s. Mm. I'm wondering if if you would share as we wrap up our conversation um, anything that that you're imagining right now um, about what these gatherings might be and and some of your intentions for how you might be weaving astrology into your other areas of research and praxis and the invitations you'll have for participants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first of all, I want to thank you for the invitation to take this exploration with you and to offer this to the embodied astrology community very much appreciate it um yeah at 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 my heart i'm a ritualist and just as you mentioned before ritual as the site of alchemy alchemizing experience um and transforming trauma, and ultimately embodying more of the self. That's the overall goal of psychology. That is the goal of Ifa as a spiritual tradition. All of it is about figuring out who are you? What are your gifts that you're adding to this pot of stew we call the marketplace of earth, earth living? So one of my goals is to offer both the astrological, symbolic, psychic landscape of those transits you mentioned, triangulate that with some African indigenous perspectives and approaches, and support people in creating their own rituals for how they want to move through these cosmic movements that will be taking place. So there'll be you know, some offering similar to what we've shared here today of just moving through that symbolic psychic landscape of what these um, PowerPoints in the psyche represent and stimulate. Um, you know, really taking my lead from you of um, what the community already knows about how they read their own charts and navigate their own um, psychic astrological landscape. And then some spaces of, um, some pockets of spaciousness to begin scribing those prayers and intentions and hopes. You know, I have to shout out my Jupiter and Scorpio right now because radical optimism is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also weaving in some of the embodiment practices um, because the onslaught of what we are living through with all of these changes is real. 
the ways that, um, you know, technology is not inherently benevolent. There are many ways in which technology is being used for hyper surveillance, for all kinds of unsavory human activities. And so because of that, it is important for me to hold the space of slowing down and bringing people into that space of radical optimism and the possibility of really good outcomes with all the changes. My hope is that you can foster, you can, you know, galvanize the energies in the cosmos to support you having a good life. Because each individual having a good life on the earth, you know, this is a collective experience we're having. Um, the more we can lean into that and move away from hyper-individualism, that to me is my theory of change. It happens collectively. Wow, thank you. I, um, I'm so excited to learn from you. And I was um, reflecting as you were talking on the history of astrology, you know, which in a lot of ways is parallel to the histories that we've named, at least the history of Western astrology, of tropical astrology, in its um, appropriation and use as a tool of the church at times. And, uh, you know, astrologers were employed by kings to uh, strategize around war. And uh, a lot of astrology got written with the language of patriarchy embedded in it. And a lot of my personal practice has been to reimagine and rework uh, tropical astrology. And the ways that I find myself doing that are often in this kind of scorpionic fashion of pausing and tuning in and trying to feel something deeper than the story that's being told. And I um, feel so grateful to you for your research because I know that the, the perspective that you're going to bring to us as humans on earth right now, <laughs> but then also to us who work with astrology really is going to help round out the symbolism uh, that we're working with and deepen it. And I think give us new avenues for interpreting and understanding how these energies can work. Mm -hmm. And thank you for naming radical optimism and for the interpretations that you've offered here. Um, I feel relieved and refreshed to hear a nuanced critique and ability to hold the immensity and uh, true challenge of the times that we're in while also feeling into what we can hope for and how we can lean on one another and, and lean on what is embedded within us uh, to bring us both backwards and forwards into the future. So thank you so much, Amber. Thank you, Renee. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, just before we close, I'm wondering if there are any other ways that you want to invite listeners to connect with you. Um, I know you have a couple of online offerings, and I'm wondering if there's anything else coming up for you in the near future that you want to let folks know about. Yeah. So um, folks can always check out my offerings at, um, I have a website, decolonizingthepsyche.com. And there's an offerings page for both my ancestral lineage healing work um, for those interested in learning more about that. I 
also in the call to stillness for the winter have been inspired to relaunch the Decolonizing the Psyche series at the top of the year. So folks can um, keep an eye out for that. And a lot of my announcements happen true to the Aquarian moon nature via my social media. So consistent across the board, it's at Decolonizing the Psyche. So you can watch out for announcements for that uh, relaunch um, via that platform. Great. And I'll include all of those links in the show notes, as well as links to your events with Embodied Astrology. Um, and I am personally really looking forward to continuing to learn from you and uh, staying tuned in with your offerings. So thank you again, Amber, for being here and being a guest on this podcast and existing and all of the um the devotion that you put into your research thank you so much for the work you do thank you thank you Mary.